God, we thank you uh, for the invitation that you give us through Christ to remain in your love. Lord, would you show us what it looks like to do that? Uh, It seems like a simple thing, uh, but I know from firsthand experience that it's difficult uh, to remain in your love. Uh, But we thank you that you are always available, always um, ready to receive us uh, when we return to you. And so, Lord, this morning, would you help us uh, to reflect on your word? And if there's anything in us that needs uh, to be uh, renounced, that we might more fully and truly follow you, we pray uh, that you'd bring that forth uh, and give us what we need uh, to trust you and to know you. Uh, We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am the proud owner of a 2003 Dodge Ram 1500 pickup truck equipped with a 5.7 liter Hemi uh, V8 engine. If you couldn't tell, yeah, thank you. Uh, if you couldn't tell, I'm not, I'm not actually much of a car person. I had to check back. I, I should have known it was 5.7, but anyway. However, um, in the early 2000s, you may remember some pretty great commercials from Dodge about the Hemi. Um, if you missed it, YouTube can help you out. I, I promise it's worth your time. In its heyday, it was a really cool truck. Today, not, not so much. It has its fair, shares, uh, its fair share of dents and scratches. The dashboard is cracked. Um, the AC is spotty. And you're more likely to hear the chassis squeaking than the engine roaring at this point. <clears throat> However, I love it today even more than I did as a 14-year-old when my dad first drove it off the lot. I love it for two reasons. Um, The first is obvious uh, to those who know me and my story. Uh, It was my dad's truck. And uh, shortly after my father passed away, uh, my mother sold it to me for a really good price, as you might imagine. Um, And it has been a special thing to help me remember his life and legacy ever since. It helps me feel connected to him when I drive it. But the second reason that I love my truck is that it is so incredibly practical. Um, When I began my woodworking business, uh, Lauren and I lived in California. I was finishing up graduate school. And we shared a Honda Civic. Um, Have you ever tried to take a 10-foot board of mahogany and place it in a Honda Civic? It fits, kinda. But you can totally forget about sheet goods. Uh, No plywood, no drywall. Forget about it. But my truck does more than serve my own needs. It's actually also something that's very helpful for others, too. Um, If you own a truck, you know how this goes. Every year, there are dozens of, shall we call them, opportunities (laughs) to help friends and family members uh, who need to move this couch or that thing, or, or perhaps they're like me, trying to get something from a a big box uh, home improvement store, and it just doesn't fit in the Civic. And so there are lots of opportunities that I have to serve others because of the car I drive. Um, There's a cliche that I think describes this really well. Blessed to be a blessing. (laughs) Because God and my mom 
gave me that gift, I'm able to serve people in a way that I couldn't otherwise. And whether or not you drive a truck, this notion, this idea of being blessed in order to bless others is relevant to your life. It's appropriate that the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we remember the good gifts that God has given to us. And we consider how to live lives marked by gratitude and generosity. Um, today we're wrapping up a sermon series we've been doing on the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, the last several months have challenged us uh, in a variety of ways across a variety of topics to consider what does it look like to faithfully follow God. One of the reasons that these passages have hit so close to home is that first century Corinth, those separated by a fair bit of time and distance from us, is actually quite similar to 21st century America. Many of the things that they struggled with, we struggle with. And so, for one last time, we have an opportunity this morning to humbly listen to God's word and, with his help, conform to it. Um, we're going to do this in two ways. First, we're going to reflect on chapter 16, the last chapter in the book. And then we're going to review a little bit the rest of the letter. Um, so let's turn now, if you haven't already, in um, your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, in the blue Bibles, it's on page 962. Um, here's an outline of the major sections of the chapter. Uh, I've titled it Miscellaneous, and that will soon uh, be evident why. <clears throat> he, he begins in the first four verses by talking about an offering that they're taking up for the saints in Jerusalem and instructs them on how they should do this. Over the next uh, seven verses or so, Paul describes uh, the need for uh, various travel plans that he has for himself, for Timothy, and for Apollos. He provides some final instructions in verses 13 to 18, a final greeting, and a sign-off in verses 19 to 24. Let's start by reading verses 1 to 4 together. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. The collection of the saints that Paul is referring to here is for the church in Jerusalem. Um, at the time, there was a great persecution happening in that region, and many in the church were facing dire circumstances. Based on that introductory phrase, now concerning, most commentators agree that the Corinthians were already aware of this need and willing to help, but they didn't exactly know how. And so Paul provides them some logistical instructions on how they are to collect and give this offering to those people. And in those instructions, we notice a couple of interesting things. The first is Paul instructs them to do this uh, collecting on the first day of the week. This is the first mention in Scripture of the fact that believers commonly gathered on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. 
Each person, Paul instructs, should weekly set something aside as the Lord prospered them. Uh, in other words, from the, the, maybe the unexpected profits that go above and beyond what they need for daily living. And this instruction was radically countercultural. At that time, in that place, almost entirely, charity was expected to come from wealthy patrons who, in exchange for their gifts, received honor from the people uh, that they helped and supported. So the notion that every person in the church ought to be able to set something aside was radically different. It's also helpful to know that the Corinthian people, for the most part, were impoverished. And so Paul is inviting them in those times where God does prosper them to demonstrate gratitude by giving a portion of that away to help God's people. The last thing I want to um, point out involves the transportation of this offering. Uh, it's something we never really think about in an era in a, uh, where we have uh, wire transfers and electronic EFTs, all, all sorts of things that we can use <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> to get resources from one place to the other. Um, that didn't exist in that time. And so what you had to do was physically take large sums of money, most likely in the form of coins, hidden on your person a great distance in order that it might arrive there safely. Um, the reality of sea storms and bandits made this endeavor high risk. And so we see here a, a remarkable picture of the bond between sisters and brothers in Christ, separated by hundreds of miles and entirely, from entirely different cultural contexts, that they're willing to, to at great risk, come together and support um, one another in need. Um, a few weeks back, albeit with less risk, we were invited to um, help and support some work in Maui, um, to support Father Jason and the church there as they come alongside and minister to people in need. Um, these are wonderful and important opportunities for us to consistently look for, um, and it's very much um, like what they were doing in Corinth even at that time. Uh, in verses 5 to 12, we see a continuation of the theme of travel. Paul lays out his own plans, explaining he hopes to be able to make a long visit to stay with them. But he's not sure when that will happen. What he does know for sure is that Timothy is coming to see them, and so he tries to prepare them for Timothy's arrival. Now, if you've been here over these last couple months, and you felt... Um, a little judged, maybe, by 1 Corinthians, you can imagine that there were many in Corinth that were not eager to receive Paul's letter nor Paul's emissary. Um, if you look at verse 10, there are some not-so-subtle, don't-shoot-the-messenger vibes. And apparently in that time, that was a pretty important uh, phrase. I'm not sure they used the phrase, but oftentimes people demonstrated uh, a dislike for a leader uh, by harming those who brought their message. And so Paul makes it clear that both he and Timothy are doing what the Lord has instructed. And to oppose them is to oppose the Lord. Finally, uh, he lets them know that despite his best efforts to convince him otherwise, Apollos isn't coming anytime soon. Maybe um, it's clear to Apollos that it's not God's will at that moment. 
Um, what we see in all three of these uh, is the reliance on God's timing, on God's will, the, the reality that one must hold their plans loosely. I remember uh, when I first began uh, worshiping in Spanish-speaking contexts, I was um, amazed and appreciated uh, the, the frequency with which I heard the phrase, si Dios quiere, if it's God's will. Um, that's a phrase that probably was common in English vernacular, like, God willing, I'll do this and that, but I don't hear it nearly as often. And I wonder what that tells us um, about our sense of autonomy, our, our sense of being able to rely on ourselves um, rather than God from time to time. And so I appreciate in this passage the recognition um, that we may have plans, but we wait to see how the Lord um, comes through. In the next section, uh, Paul provides some final instruction. And I think verses 13 to 14 really uh, say it beautifully. Um, I put this one in the message translation just to have a little variety. Keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you got. Be resolute. And love without stopping. In many ways, um, these verses serve as a summary for the whole book. Paul has been trying to help the Corinthians to carefully and expectantly watch for the return of Jesus. He's reminded them that they, they must hold fast to the whole and true gospel and to beware of anything that undermines it, whether subtly or overtly. He's urged them to lay down their preferences for the sake of others and to press forward in their faith even when things are hard. And he concludes there with the refrain we see throughout the letter. Do everything in love. Um, Paul wraps up the letter by naming several people that they know. He passes greetings along to them and he urges them to pay special honor to the individuals who have assisted Paul in his ministry travels and journeys. Individuals who are from Corinth that have traveled with him and that will soon be returning. He asks them to honor them and to come alongside of them. Let's read the final verses of the letter beginning in verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. In this sign-off, we see three things. First, Paul points out the weightiness of our decision to either love or reject Jesus. Second, he invites us to live our lives with a sense of urgency, eagerly anticipating Christ's return. And finally, he reminds us of our dependence on God's grace and the love of our sisters and brothers in Christ. Um, this week, uh, as we reflected as a preaching cohort on the book of 1 Corinthians as a whole, um, we came away with a few takeaways. Um, the first, already mentioned, is that 
We recognize that this has been a very challenging book to read through, to preach through, to consider. It's challenging because some of the passages have been difficult to understand, requiring a lot of research to understand the Corinthian context. And then those other passages, which are actually quite straightforward, are no easier to put into practice. On the screen, um, I've got a list of some of the exhortations that Paul gives us throughout the letter. We're instructed to preach the good news of Christ crucified and resurrected. We're to avoid uh, disunity, avoid factions, avoid these things which can divide us from one another, and especially avoid the tendency to try to gain an advantage one over the other. We're instructed to flee from sexual immorality in all of its many forms. We're called to be content and to lay down our rights for the sake of others hearing the good news of the gospel. We're instructed to flee idolatry, to not bend the knee to anything or anyone other than the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. We're called to earnestly desire spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up the body. And once again, if all else fails, do it all in love. Um, Paul makes it clear throughout the letter that following Jesus is a high calling. In our reflection, Bishop Sandy and Joel made a really helpful observation. None of us can give what we don't already have. We're only able to give our best after we receive God's best. And we see this in our gospel passage from John 15. Jesus asserts that he is the vine, the source of life, and we are the branches. When we're operating in the way that God intended us to, intended for us to operate, we live as conduits of God's blessings towards others. When we remain connected to the source, God's life-giving power flows through our lives, and it produces fruit that we have the privilege and the honor of bearing to glorify God and to love and serve others. But if we attempt to produce this fruit on our own, and we often do, we will fail. For Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We'll never be able to put into practice these many exhortations from 1 Corinthians on our own without first receiving the many gifts that God has given to us. And so this morning, I want to take stock of some of those gifts, um, gifts that are referenced throughout this entire letter. First and foremost, God has given us himself. He did not remain far off, but he became like us. He lived with us. He suffered and died for us. This morning, I wonder, have you consciously received that gift? 
Would you like to say yes to the love of Christ? To stop striving and trying to do it on your own? The door is wide open. The Lord is ready to receive all those who say yes. And for those who have received it, this morning, um, how might God be inviting you to live in grateful response to that gift? Um, God has also given us one another. We do not have to follow Christ alone, but we get to do so with sisters and brothers. Christian unity is a precious gift. Do we regard it as such? Do we actively pursue it, especially with brothers and sisters of Christ who are different from ourselves? God has given us freedom from slavery to sin and to self-promotion. If you're stuck this morning in a destructive pattern, a destructive cycle that you can't seem to get out of, there is hope. Jesus came not just to forgive you, but to free you. Do you believe that? Jesus, help our unbelief. God has liberated us from the bondage of worshiping false gods. We don't have to run from thing to thing looking for purpose, hope, and security. Jesus' sacrifice enables us to worship God in spirit and in truth. And when we do, we find all those things we've been longing for. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. God has generally, generously given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you know it, you can say it with me. Gifts from God to us for others. So pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. God has given us the truest and purest motivator, love. Jesus not only enables us to do the right things, but he gives us a new heart that we might do them for the right reason. All good works done with any motivation other than love are meaningless, Paul tells us. But love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Y'all, we can't produce this in ourselves. But we can draw near to God. We can remain in Christ's love that he might produce it and flow through us. That kind of radical love. Um, finally, as Jeff articulated beautifully last week, God will give us restored and transformed bodies like the one he gave to Jesus. God will make all things new when he comes to vanquish that last foe, death. So how might we live right now 
in grateful response as we anticipate that day which is to come. Um, I'd like to close by sharing a portion of a prayer that I read uh, a few weeks ago. Um, Two weeks ago, I was homesick with COVID and bronchitis. When I'm sick, I'm often aware of how much I take good health for granted. And uh, that morning, feeling pretty sorry for myself, I got out my copy of Every Moment Holy. Um, If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's a great book with lots of prayers for very practical everyday situations. Um, There's one in there called A Liturgy for a Sick Day. It seemed appropriate. Um, In the middle, I discovered a section that challenged me to be grateful and intentional with how I steward my health, which is a gift from God. Um, On the screen, you'll see an excerpt of that prayer. Now, the subject of it, um, you know, anytime you see the word it in this prayer, it's referring to good health. But I think it could very well refer to any number of gifts which God has given to us and invited us to steward well. Um, So I'm going to take 10 seconds, allow you to think silently about some gift that God has given to you that you want to steward well and you need his help. And after you've done that, we'll pray this prayer together. So 10 seconds of silence. All right, let's pray this prayer together. Let me use it well to... Oh, man, my bad. Let's try again. Let me use it to serve well, to love well, to care for your people, your creation, to spend my allotted days cherishing hearts, creating beauty, bringing order, offering healing, delighting in your goodness Manifest to me in a million ways, so to one day come to the end of my days, having stewarded them well. Lord, that is our prayer. Would you help us to be good stewards of the many, many good gifts that you have given to us? Would you help us to leverage them, to use them in ways to love and support others? Would you help us be motivated um, by love? love that is true and pure and which comes only from you. Lord Christ, we thank you for these uh, several months where we unpacked your scripture uh, from the book of 1 Corinthians. We pray that you would seal in our hearts the things uh, which we needed to hear, um, the things which we have responded to, the things which we still need to respond to. And Would you help us live lives um, that are marked um, by uh, an abiding in Christ, that you might produce fruit in us that we could not produce on our own. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.